Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Okay, so we welcome little noisemakers. So I know you're. sometimes you go to a talk and you think, oh, that speaker's going to really be rattled by all those children. Why don't they get quiet? So don't think that. I'm just going to ignore the kids if they make noise. And so will you. <laughs> and I bet you're prepared to do that. So get some outlines on the back table if you want to follow along. That We're learning a Talk about when words matter most. I wonder what that's all about. We have Bible. Can you get your Bibles? Because we're going to cover some verses. I don't want you to think, well, Caroline's just making this stuff up. <laughs> you got to look at it in your word, in your scripture, to see if it's in there, what I'm saying, okay? I'm going to talk to you about this book, When Words Matter Most. Speaking truth with grace to those you love. So we're going to pray. I'll give you a little background on the book. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for bringing us together this morning because it's special to gather as women and talk about things that matter to us, like talking. And we do pray that you'll help us to focus on your word and gear our speech towards what you wish for us, Lord. I pray that you would help us listen well and uh, let the word sink deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this book was written with Cheryl Marshall. It's going. The red light is on. Thanks. Um, Cheryl Marshall lives in Houston. She and I were friends, though, when we were in church together in Escondido, California. Her husband came out to Westminster Theological Seminary in California, and they were in our church. And she contacted me a few years ago. She goes, Caroline, let's write a book. I said, no, I can't write a book with you, Cheryl. I just moved to Charlotte. I've just started taking classes to get my master's degree in counseling at Reformed Theological Center. I don't have time for that. Contact me in two years. So she patiently waited. Two years later, she said, Caroline, let's write a book. <laughs> so... She, this is her brainchild, this is her writing, because she's an amazing writer. But a lot of my stories are in here, a lot of my actual counseling experience and passages that I use in counseling. So lucky you, you get the first few chapters today, condensed. I still want you to get a book though if you want. And these are special books because they're all signed by Caroline and Cheryl. The reason for that is Cheryl was with me this last week out in Charlotte where we recorded an audio book. So the two of us recorded our book. And that is no easy task. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic 
But while she was there, I had a case of books, and I said, let's just sign all these together. So we did. So the book is about using our words to help one another. It's about being friends and speaking truth with, from the scripture without having any kind of counseling appointment. Because I am a counselor and I keep appointments and I meet with women all over the US on, through electronic means or I meet women in person, but I just as soon not do that too much. I just as soon you guys minister the word to each other in your own church. Because that's my problem. I'm getting women coming in saying, I have these issues and I have nobody to talk to. So this is my calling to you today. We're going to get inspired to speak the truth with grace to those we love. So I want to work myself out of a job. So here we are. I want you to use this material for your friends, with your friends and your relatives, people in your own church, people you don't know very well, somebody here at the camp maybe you haven't talked to much. I want us to have conversations that are on a deeper level, that are past the shallow into the word does speak to you. Let me help you see that. So the first thing we talk about is the call to speak, that we are to do this towards one another. Don't think that because you're in a great church with great preaching, that's all the Bible you need. Now, you guys, if you have great preaching, you know that's not true. We have to have Bible conversations with one another, fellow believers. And I'm going to tell you that's true because it's in Romans 12. In verses 4 through 5, it talks about we have all these people that God has provided to the church. And it says in in verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we... Though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So some of us are going to be called to be the type of counselor that takes appointments, deals with the really hard cases. But all the rest of us, because we're members of each other, are called to do that for each other naturally in our daily life. Now when we speak words to one another, some of us, some of us have a problem with speaking the wrong kinds of words, like super critical, or even uh, people who lie, like Jim was talking about earlier, then we have people who gossip. We're gonna set aside all those types of words and speak words that are appropriate. And we're gonna start with speaking wisdom. And that passage, we'll look at Colossians chapter 1. A couple of places in Colossians it says we need to speak with wisdom. Verse, chapter 1, verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Did you hear those two things we're supposed to be doing? Warning and teaching. So we're going to talk a little bit about those two things. And if you read this book, 
you'll find out there is actually quite a bit in here about speaking warning to others. And that gives some of us the heebie-jeebies, right? How could I ever tell her she's wrong? How could I ever correct somebody? So we go into that in great detail. And I'll give you a little bit of it today. But in Colossians 3.16, we have something very similar. It says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Do you hear that again? Two things we're supposed to do. Teaching and admonishment. Admonishment with wisdom. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in Proverbs 31. Okay, we all love Proverbs 31, right? You've probably heard many sermons on this. But my favorite verse is 26. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So there's a kid. Warning and teaching. Wisdom and kindness. So we want to as well speak words of truth. Because, well, I'll, let me just give you the verse, and then I'll tell you why. Ephesians 4, 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So, do y'all know what bad teaching is out there? Do you know how much is going on out there without wisdom? Lots of, lots of that. And in my day, it was um, Dr. Phil, right? Dating myself here. But now it's Oprah Winfrey and all these other people who have, are speaking into culture. But what we want to be is women who speak truth with wisdom and kindness. And our goals are listed in Ephesians 4, 12 through 13. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in this section. Ephesians 4, I'm going to read starting in 11. This is the gift of God to the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. What are they supposed to do? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What is that purpose? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal for our words. So we're going to spend a little time looking at those three goals. I don't know if you heard that, but I'll repeat them again. We want unity of the faith. We want to emphasize unity of the faith. And that has to do with doctrine. But we also want to build knowledge of the Son of God. Don't we want that? Don't we need to know the Son of God? And the third thing is for Christ-like maturity. We want to be mature in Christ. Not only to know Christ, but to grow in maturity. So let's look at that. So first thing is unity of the faith. Now, 
where this group is gathered because we have certain things in common, right? You wouldn't be listening to me if you didn't think I shared the same doctrine as you. My belief in who God the Father is. My belief in who God the Son is. My belief in who God the Spirit is. Your leaders wouldn't have invited us if we didn't have unity of the faith in that way. We also know that when we have unity among us, we have peace and we have mutual beneficial goals, don't we? We're all heading towards the same direction. One of us is not, then we know it. We can tell. So think about how you are seeking unity in the faith, how you're growing personally in your understanding of Scripture, and how can you encourage someone in unity of the faith and in doctrine? So the second thing God wants the church to do for one another is to grow in knowledge of the Son of God. And that is way beyond what we hear about in Sunday school class when we were little kids of all the things that Jesus did. But it is knowing, knowledge, knowing the Son of God, knowing who Christ is, having relationship, having personal experience. So, when we meet with each other, we build each other up about the things that we're excited about, things we love about Jesus. Some of us do that so naturally, right? Oh, just look at what God has done. He has blessed me today. I want to tell you about that. Or, don't you appreciate that sunset? Don't you appreciate what God has made? That kind of talk, you see how it's edifying and building each other up? And that's what we should do. We want to get beyond the, the surface. Now, we need to, I need to talk surface with some of you guys because I don't know you. But those you know each other. You can move into, let's talk about Jesus together. Maybe you can share a verse or a song that's impacted you. So you're thinking about how can I help others know Jesus? But the third thing is to grow into mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to become more like Christ. That's our goal. Even if we start out our ministry with others by thinking this is my goal, instead of let's compare what fitness center is the best one, my goal instead is to build others up to know Jesus and to grow into him. So I'm going to read to you Hebrews 5. And this is just such an astonishing passage. But think of it in terms of your own relationships. It says in in Hebrews 5, verse 11, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Moms know this, right? Okay, I love how much Paul talks about real, I mean, this author of Hebrews talks about real life. So he's thinking about Children need milk. 
But 14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And isn't that what happens in really super good relationships? You can rely on somebody to show you the difference between good and evil. It's like my friend who texted me yesterday. She goes, Caroline, I am so discouraged. And I don't have somebody to talk to, but I really value those friends who have pointed me in the past to showing me the difference between good and evil. My wise friends are precious to me. She moved away. I can't talk to her all the time. But we should be like that for one another. And the constant practice comes from stimulating one another to love and good deeds. What does the Bible say? How can I have a Christ-like response to my husband? How can I be like Christ to my children? I need to study it. I need to be conformed to the Word of God. And then I will be mature. So isn't that a noble purpose for our relationships? I love her because she points me to Christ. Right? Don't you feel special about those people? These are the ones that have really gone deep and you value those people. So our goal is in Ephesians 4.14 that here's the benefit of having these relationships. People who can speak to us. It says in verse 14 of Ephesians 4, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. <coughs> so Jim was talking just before this about singles and how many of us have seen a single girl go way off in the wrong direction because she doesn't have either somebody in her life to speak truth to her and she doesn't have the word. So our goal is to help others do this. And I recently talked to a friend. She said she loves listening to podcasts. Now, how many of y'all are into podcasts? Okay, not my deal. Although I've been on 21 different podcasts, all kinds. But uh, my friend said, you know, I was listening to a certain podcast and it, it seemed a little off to me. I'm going, you know, inside I'm like, ah, that's so great. You can see the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. She's trained to know the difference between good and evil. And then my next question, you know what my next question was? Which podcast? <laughs> Which one was a little bit off? Not that I want to assess it, but I need to know it. I want to know what's out there. So we are to speak truth in love in verse 15 so that we, make, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now we heard an announcement that there is a group of people in your church who love counseling, who want to do this among you, but why don't you all start, you all start building each other in love, in truth, so that 
your counselors among you can take the hard cases. That's what I do. I take the hard cases. Because if the lady just needs discipleship, a lot of times I just send her back to her church. I meet with her for a little bit, but I said, you need ongoing discipleship, find a woman in your church to help you. So my next point is to look at who are those we love. Who are some of these people who need us? You, okay, you may have somebody in mind, but let's see what the scripture says. And I'm going to read um, Galatians 6, 2. Here's your calling, or what the Lord wants you to do. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is that a familiar verse? No, you've heard it before. But my friend Cheryl... She grew up under the teaching of John MacArthur. So you know what she's going to do with verse six, chapter 6, verse 2? She's going to define every word, and I'm going to do that. So what does it mean to bear a burden? To bear something is to carry it with endurance. These are not lightweight things. These are things that take time. I'm walking alongside. I'm bearing it with you. And... Bear one another's burdens is a trouble that's really hard to deal with alone. So some of us suffer in silence. Many of us need someone to carry a burden with us. It's easier, right? Isn't it easier if you know somebody's praying for you? Isn't it easier when she says, hey, how's it going? What we talked about. And all of a sudden you feel a little bit lighter because someone's bearing your burden with you could be a widow who's going right now about ready to encounter her first Thanksgiving without her spouse. Then you know what's coming, Christmas. All these traditions she's had with someone else, she needs somebody to bear that burden with her. That's what we're called to do. It could be a family who's lost a child. Um, and yesterday, one of my sister's little granddaughters died. Yeah. So this it was a premature baby, didn't make it. But now can you think about how our whole family, how we're all affected by that? So Susan and Jeff are affected. The daughter is affected. Her name is Caroline. She's named after me. And then their little daughter has died. So that family needs somebody to bear their burden with them. Doesn't take away the burden, but it spreads it out among all these people and just to tell them we're praying for you. It means a lot. So, we're, in order, we're supposed to do this in order to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when I first read this, I didn't know what that was talking about. Like, where is, what's, what's the verse that tells me what is the law of Christ? But if you do some thinking, put on your thinking cap, and you realize the law of Christ is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we bear one another's burdens in order to love our neighbors. That's the law of Christ. That actually means being an active person who actively loves others. So it's another thing, you know, we can be real flippant, especially on Facebook maybe, hey, I'm praying for you. But actively saying, I am committing myself to pray for you and your problem, that is fulfilling the law of Christ out of love, because you love that person. 
we should just do that with each other. And don't minimize the power of prayer. And I might say, well, my family who's suffering, they're all down in Houston, I mean. I'm getting ready to fly back to Charlotte tomorrow. What can I do? I can't take them a meal, but I can pray for them. And isn't that huge? Well, all I can do is pray. Think about how huge that is to bring their pain before the throne of Christ and bear their burden with them. So we also are called to know who are these people that we are to love. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And this is our biblical counseling verse. Y'all get to hear it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me look at it. Verse 14 says, And we urge you, brothers, to do three things. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and then be patient with all those people. That's what we're called to do. And because it says brothers, do you think we're out of it? you think we're exempted? No, this is like brethren. It's like all y'all are supposed to encourage one another. And admonish the idol. That's English Standard Version. And when Cheryl and I wrote this book, we put in the New American, no, New International Version. Admonish the unruly. I think unruly sounds a lot broader than idle. I don't know why ESV chose idle, but we are going to go with unruly because here's Cheryl with her John MacArthur definition. Unruly is somebody who's out of step. You know, it's a word used for soldiers marching together. And here's one who's a little bit out of step. You've seen that. You can picture that. So the unruly is someone who's a little slightly off. And it could be a lady who's in your group and you know what, you begin to find out she's, she's always knocking her husband down. She's always criticizing him and you're looking at her and going, that's, oh, that's off, she shouldn't be doing that. These are believers altogether, we should be following Christ. She's got a blind spot, <clears throat> could be a gossip. And then we're called to admonish her. So this is where we, again, get nervous. What am I supposed to do? How do I talk to her? Do you think it's important, girls? Do you think it's important to admonish the unruly? Show me your nodding heads. Yes. Man, if we had somebody lovingly come alongside and say, you know, I care about you, but you probably didn't notice you did this or you said that, that's going to build up your body. That's going to help you all grow into Christ-like maturity. And I had a woman, I counseled, who was with a, she was married to a man who kept putting her down in public. And she said, not a single man in my church ever confronted him. I really wish somebody had pulled him aside and said something. That she would have felt like she had allies, she had friends to help her. Well, same thing with us. We want to help one another when we go off, okay? I had a lady who I was counseling, and she, I was really seeing she had a blind spot. 
of not having a fear of the Lord. Her whole thing was, what do people think of me? What am I, what do they want from me? How can I make these other people happy? Without thinking about God at all. God was not in her view. She was slightly off. She needed somebody to come alongside lovingly and patiently. Do you see what it says? Patient. Be patient with them all. So we want to do that for each other. And I have a friend, though. I mean, you may have a friend like this. She won't read those mushy books, Christian women's books. They're out. Have y'all ever, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, all this, like, platitudes and happy feelings. She says, I want to be admonished. I want to read a book that makes me contemplate who I am before the Lord. I want to hear preaching that drives the word home. I'm going, yay. (laughs) That's so great. She's willing to be admonished. Those are people who want to truly grow dramatically in the Lord. So another person we're supposed to help is the faint-hearted. So if you're looking at this verse, you're probably asking yourself, what's the difference between faint-hearted and weak? You have to encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. So I hope in the next few minutes, you'll see the difference. The faint-hearted literally is somebody who is small-souled. It's like they're kind of shriveled up with sadness or insecurities. They're little-spirited. Always trying, always doing, trying to do their best, but not successful. They have a spiritual heaviness. And getting up in the morning is hard. And she can hardly get going. And she drinks her coffee and it doesn't even work. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? She's faint-hearted. She needs somebody to give her courage. So that's what encourage means, right? Put courage into them. So she needs words of comfort. She needs words of peace. She needs to be reminded of the truth that she already knows. Or it's like my other friend, needs to be thinking vertically and bring the Lord into your life and get away from these horizontal relationships and put God back in. This might be a lady who's homeschooling a child who has a learning disability. And some people, some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, we went for years and my child never could read. What was the matter? I couldn't figure out. Well, dyslexia was the problem. Never knew. Poor kids just trying hard. Mom's getting frustrated. Like, why aren't you like all the other kids? No, okay, this lady needs encouragement. She's getting faint-hearted. Sometimes she feels like giving up. She might be married to a man who doesn't understand her, who doesn't help out around the house. She needs encouragement. She needs patience. But the other lady we're talking about here is weak. And to me, I see different, a different side of this. Weak... It's like uh, in Ezekiel 34, God says, I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed 
and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. So faint-hearted, I see, is like, ah, oh, I can't keep going spiritually, but weak is like, I am almost done, almost done for. I need emotional strength. She might be a lady who doubts her salvation. Why am I always struggling over this same sin? I thought I had it defeated. I thought I was going to finally have the victorious Christian life, and I am not there. I feel weak. She might be confused. Can God even help me? She might say, I am beyond help. I don't know. If I meet with you, Caroline, I'm just going to drain you down. She's so weak, and we need to help her. We need to figure out what her issue is and how to help. Now, do you think it's only a trained counselor who could do that? No. I wish you all would get that message. It's not just multitude of degrees or multitude of systematic theology classes that helps you answer this question. It's genuine love and care for somebody, and you know your word. Y'all can just give one verse, right? You can give a verse to a person who feels weak, and eventually you'll give another one. And the more you study your own Bible, you're going to find more, and you're going to start saying, hey, you know, this is a really good verse for my friend. I will text it to her today. I found it in my Bible reading. And that's the way I read my Bible. I read it with all these people in my mind. Not just me, but all these ladies. And I would love, if I had my big Bible with me, I'd love you to challenge me and say, Caroline, can you find a verse from every single book in the Bible that helps a struggling lady? And that's, that's one of my own personal challenges. Don't try me on it, but if you're sitting with me in counseling and you tell me, hey, I'm reading the book of Lamentations, I'll say, I know a verse in Lamentations. So we want to be ladies who know our word so that we can help these people. They, uh, they're struggling. They're within our group. Do y'all believe that? Yes. We have maybe an unruly person in our group. I bet you anything you've got several faint-hearted and you've got a few weak who are just hanging on by their fingernails. All these ladies need us to speak the truth with love and with Patience. I, I had a lady come up to me in my church. She goes, I don't know you very well, but you seem like a nice person. <laughs> Can we meet? That's right. So all she was, she was like, she was looking at what I was projecting of love and care for other people. And she was attracted to that. We started meeting. So let's spend a bit of time now about speaking about grace, because our subtitle is Speaking Truth with Grace to Those We Love. So we've talked already about what does it mean, what are the kind of truths we need to address. Now, the grace. So Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And some of you probably know this one, Proverbs 16, 24, those of you who are beekeepers, anybody a beekeeper around us? <laughs> so that says in 1624, gracious words are like a honeycomb, 
sweetness to the soul and health to the body. We want to be women who speak with grace. Teaching kindness is on her tongue. So, grace. We need to, get this, experience grace for ourselves before we can show grace to anyone else. Is that true? Yeah. We're not just speaking theory now. We're saying, I need to know the grace of God before I become a gracious person. And I could lay out many, many verses on that. But we will start with, uh, let's see, Titus chapter 2. So let's look for a bit at Titus 2. And I'm going to start in verse 11. Because here's something kind of astonishing. And think about what it says. 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay? Put your Bible study hats on. What is he talking about right here? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people is... Yes. Did you know Jesus is actually called the grace of God himself? That's his nature, his character. So we need to spend some time knowing this grace that Jesus has brought to us. Let me finish reading before I unpack it further. This grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is packed. That set of verses is packed with theology. I'm going to show you. So, we're going to talk now theology. And pretty soon you're going to figure out where is the section in this set, in these verses about justification? Where does he talk about sanctification? And where does he talk about glorification? Now those are $5 words, but you know what they mean. Jesus saves. That's verse 11. Jesus saves. Our salvation is because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. We are justified, made right in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Knowing justification is tremendously important. It's not just for seminary class. It's for all of us sitting and talking to one another. Because justification is what the pastor's wife needs if she's always feeling like she's never doing enough. Don't we feel that way sometimes? Oh, I feel like I can't do enough. I've got all these kids. I've got the homeschool. I've got my household. And the list goes on and on. An understanding of justification changes her world. Because that means God sees her as he sees Christ. 
So if we know justification, we can help those who are feeling guilty. Or the woman I'm meeting with now who's leaving a lesbian relationship and seeking to follow Christ. She needs to start with justification. New creature in Christ, purchased by God, viewed with Christ's righteousness, that gives her motivation to live life, to get up every day and start over. But we know God doesn't leave us just as saved people. He sanctifies us. So that's what we see a couple times in this passage. Verse 12, it's we're being trained. He's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So that's the negative. We don't want to have these uh, this ungodliest worldly passage, but you see it's also down here in verse 14. Redeem us from all lawlessness. We don't want that. We're, instead, we're pursuing self-control, upright and godly lives. And then again in 14, pure. He's purifying for himself. Now, sanctification is hugely important as well. It's what equips us to live lives that please the Lord. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this knowledge of sanctification helps those of us who struggle with ongoing sin, always working to defeat that tongue of ours that blurts out the wrong thing always trying to defeat our focus on everyone else. Always trying to defeat our discouragement at being single, perhaps. Always working on sanctification, growing to be like Christ. This helps a lady who's feeling defeated and hopeless. Well, I am confident of this very thing, that he began a good work and you will complete it. We'll carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This truth helps our everyday life. Do you think so? Do you think so? Yes. <coughs> so we're supposed to know a little bit about sanctification because it gets us through life and it shows us our goal. But then we have glorification. And I don't know, did you see it when I read this? It's in verse... Um, 13. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That future hope helps us make it. Make it through our day. I don't know what I can do. I feel like I'll never get there. Well, there's glory awaiting. Or some of you may be caring for elderly parents who are starting to lose cognitive ability, physical ability. What keeps you going? There is a future. There's a bright future for my Christian loved one. I'm going to keep going each day because I know that's out there. Not only that, but in the future, rewards are to be found. I'm working, I'm working so hard to get this camp going. 
people don't recognize it. I never get a thank you for all the cute things I've created or all the amazing service I've given to this church. But who does know? God. He will glorify. He will give you rewards, even if it's not in this life. So the doctrine of glorification helps you push through. But it also helps those of us who have been sinned against in egregious ways to know God is a just God and one day in the future he will make all things right. This is not just head knowledge. This is knowledge of doctrine that helps you function in life. And we should all be aware of these theological terms and how to apply these theological terms to encourage our sisters in Christ. This world is not all there is. And I had to tell that to a woman who um, came for counseling because of a very difficult relationship with her father. And she's a young adult now, but she told me the most the saddest story about her father who deliberately killed her little dog in anger. How does she cope with that? She copes with it by knowing glorification. God will make things right. He sees. He sees my pain. And he will sort it all out. In the end, that gives her peace and comfort. She does not have to take revenge. She doesn't have to carry it around because God is going to help her. In Titus 2.15, at the end of this section of what we are to do with each other, is to declare these things. We are to exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Interesting. Interesting. Paul's told that, telling that to what I assume was a young person, Titus, that we're supposed to go about our business helping women to understand justification and sanctification and glorification. Okay, got it? All right, now the last section I'm going to go through pretty briefly is to talk about what does it mean to be a gracious person. Okay, Cheryl and I spent some time thinking about defining a gracious friend. And I'm including all of you. These characteristics you can all have. So now we're thinking about examining ourselves. Do I fit into these categories? And because we actually love alliteration, we have a gracious friend. We're looking at her character, her conversation, and her conduct. So her character. What type of person is she? This is the friend I want. This is the friend I want to be. Her character begins with being filled with the Spirit. She is a person who loves God. Don't you want to be with people like that? It kind of spreads on you, right? Her excitement for the Lord is infectious. It, somebody is so edifying and enjoyable to be with because she talks about the Lord. She's putting to death the deeds of the body. And she may be that lady who sings psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. She's uplifting. That's a, a very attractive person. And I'm not talking about what she looks like. You hear it? She's got the Holy Spirit. But she's also humble. So 
We're told to do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Philippians 2.4. Romans 12.16. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Don't you want to be that person? Yes. Yes, Caroline. You're speaking to me. I want to be the person who brings others into her circle instead of pushing herself out there. She's listening to me. She really cares, I can tell. So she's gracious and humble. But not only that, she's loyal. She's a person who's with you when you go through your ups and when you go through your downs. That kind of friend is invaluable. Can't we agree with that? And you probably could tell me a little story or two about a friend who abandoned you in hard times. Or what you call the fair weather friend. Someone who wasn't there when I got a divorce. Somebody who, when my child was going through chronic illness, eventually never contacted me again. She kind of was there at the beginning, but now I don't hear from her much. No, we want to be those friends who are loyal. That's the way Jesus is. That's the way our Savior is, loyal to us. Um, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Jesus himself had friends around him who were not loyal, right? They deserted him when it was really hard. And they thought of themselves and ran away. But we want to be a friend who bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So those are three character qualities. Spirit-filled, humble, and loyal. Could have made a few more. That's what we chose. But now, the conversation. What kinds of things does she say? So... Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, but the sweetness of a friend comes from her wise counsel. This is the person who uses her words carefully. She has self-control. She thinks before she speaks. And I have a few friends like that. They are not going to just talk nonstop. They're not going to blurt out things. They're careful and I love that. I know that she's going to be careful with what she hears, not only in what she says. She unites people with her words. She's always bringing a positive side to things. So this lady also is one who speaks with wisdom. And I started out laying a case for that, that that's what we are to be to one another, speaking wisdom, words of wisdom, because we know the word. Okay? And that's where we have it over the world and all those people on talk shows and all those self-help books. There are gobs of those. There are gobs of podcasts like, this is my suggestion for how to raise your family. Whereas, wouldn't you rather have, this is what the Word says on how to raise your family. Yeah. You want to follow these people who have truth from the Lord. So these women who are wise, they know the fear of the Lord. They have been studying scriptures, maybe some of them for years. And she's praying for more and more wisdom. And I'm telling you, the people with the gray hair among us 
are the ones who've been around for a while. But those women are, I don't know, I have a beef. I have a beef about the 20-somethings who are at these major conferences telling us all what to do, okay? No offense to them, I'm sure they're very wise and all that, but yeah, the gray hairs have had years of experience. So tap into that, girls. You're blessed to have those women around you. What was it? Who was it that we were talking to? Somebody really recently said, oh, I know, this young couple came to our house last week. He said, you know what? In our church, the oldest person is 34. And they're coming to us because we need somebody to help us sort out this problem we're having. Okay? And we don't have any wise older people around us. Okay, I feel for you. Really. So we said, we'll be those people to you. But we also are thinking, what is this church lacking? So y'all are blessed. And I can just do that, say that by just looking at you. <laughs> so we want wisdom among us. We want people who speak with hope. So a gracious person is going to be super hopeful. Like I said, positive. And you enjoy talking to her because she lifts you up. She gives you the scripture that's the edifying, encouraging piece of new wisdom that you need. Because the Bible brings hope, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Even in those revelation letters where Jesus slams the churches, there's good, something good you can say about almost all of them. There's a little bit of positive things in each story. So we should be those people looking for those hopeful statements and hopeful words. And some of it's just saying, the Lord is with you. The Lord is there. Uh, or even 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That's future hope. That's glorification to come. So we use those words as we speak to one another. And we speak of our own experience, don't we? Those, that's again where, where we have it over even the teenager. Well, I've had years of experience of seeing God at work. You know, he was there with me in my deepest moments. He's there with me in my joys. He is there. So we want to spend time with those ladies, don't we? And maybe at your future conversations at this camp or at your church, you're going to be reminded, you're going to be mindful that I want to be that person who speaks hopeful words to someone else. And you're speaking of God's hope, okay? Not, not the platitudes, not like, oh, I hope everything works out for you. You know what I mean when I'm saying hope, right? Okay, solid, an anchor for your soul. Not wishful thinking. So we talked about the gracious friend, her character, and her conversation, but it's nothing without the actions. So what is her conduct? What type of actions does this lady have? And what she does is more important than what she says. And that's the message of James, right? James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So this friend, her conduct is she really listens. She pays close attention. She leans forward. She looks at you when you're talking. 
You know, that speaks volumes more than what, even before she starts talking to you, to be heard, to have a person who's truly in it with you, a listener. So Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And don't you hate it when somebody goes, oh, I know your problem. I know somebody else had that very same problem. This worked for them. I'm like, I'm an individual here, and I don't think you know the whole picture. Don't give me this label when you've heard me for about five or ten minutes, or even for an hour. We're talking and listening and learning about that person. Okay, so we've also, using, using our skills to draw somebody out, and I could give you many stories of even me Caroline jumping to the wrong conclusion because I've had a case just like that. So what I'm talking about is what I know. It's like, do not assume you know everything. Keep listening and asking those questions. But she's also a forgiving person. So this is her conduct. She acts in a forgiving way towards you. She takes everything the right way. You know, you may be one of those jokers. And we love the jokers among us, but sometimes it comes out wrong. But if you're among really gracious people, they'll say, oh yeah, she didn't mean it like it sounded. You know, don't you want to be that person that people accept you even when you let things slip and it doesn't sound right? You want to be that person to others. You want to be gracious and forgiving. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Love covers a multitude of sins. Even if she's Sitting, you're being gracious and kind. And then a gracious friend, not only does she speak wisdom, she serves. She is actively serving you. Now, if you look around this group, you know who those people are serving you. And you're thankful for those gracious women. They may be giving their time, their energy. They may be the one who prays. I'll pray for you, and I commit to pray for you. They may be the one who gives money to subsidize this camp so others can come who might not make it otherwise. She is loving her neighbor as much as she loves herself. She's imitating Christ who willingly gave himself and served himself, served us by giving of himself. And she even plans how and when to serve others. Those are the ladies who are making those great meals and take them over to new, new moms. And I bet a lot of you are beneficiaries of really serving women among you. So thankful. Not just words, but service. So let me wrap up by summarizing the first, what, four chapters of this book. That is that our words matter, so we want to speak wise words and kind words and truthful words to one another. And our, the purpose of speaking is to maintain unity, to have knowledge of the Son of God and build us all up into Christ-like maturity to follow Christ. We should be with people who are having all kinds of burdens and we bear those burdens alongside them. We help the people who are unruly, and the faint-hearted and the weak to 
totally with patience with all those types. And you think you need it with the unruly or the idle, yeah. But everybody needs patience. Even the faint-hearted who comes over and over again with the same problem. She needs patience. But our speech is going to be gracious because we are justified, sanctified, and we have glory to look ahead to. Because we have good doctrine. And then the gracious friend, we look at her conduct, her conversation, and her character. What type of person is she? And what type of person do we want God to make us into be? So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to exhort you to spend this next half an hour, like we were told, just alone with the Lord. To spend some time meditating on what we've heard. Maybe you take your verses with you and look up a few things to make sure I said something that was true. <laughs> and ask the Lord to make you into a gracious friend. And if you feel lonely, to help you find those gracious women in your body. I'll close with this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to think about what we want to be like. And as we contemplate the exhortation we've been given, us, given some of us feel pretty discouraged because we feel like we'll never make it or we'll never be like her, that lady we admire. But we thank you that your spirit is at work and will conform us to Christ. And those of us who are uncertain about our salvation, I pray that you'll bring something, somebody alongside to encourage her. And I pray that you'll make us women who are examples of the Christ-like and godly women that you've provided for the church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.